Welcome, everybody, to Transformative Teaching and Faceted IU podcast. And today we have our guest, Megan Porter, lecturer of chemistry and facet class of 2021. Is that right? Yes, I, had to I think that's that. right. Okay. And I'm your host, Michael Maroney. I'm the director of facet. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so I, I like to, I'm curious about um, how you figured out that, that this teaching, teaching is the direction you wanted to go. How did you figure yeah. that out? Was it in grad school or? It was actually an undergrad. So I started hmm. undergrad as um, a chem major. I realized that very quickly, I didn't like biology. <laughs> um, huh. And so at the same time, I didn't really love the idea of medical school. I just always been told like, hey, you're really smart. You should go to med school. Okay. Um, but I also needed money in college. And so I worked. And with our work study program, as most, if you work too much during a semester, either the job you're working has to chip in for the rest of the money or you can't work the rest of the semester. The school's only going to provide so much. So I quickly realized that if I taught as we call them TAs, but IU knows them as AIs, then in the middle of the semester, the department couldn't just be like, oh, we don't need you anymore. So they were going to have to keep paying me. Um, so I did that. And I, I was able to start that my first year in college. And I fell oh, in wow. love with it. I loved working with the students, um, especially in chemistry, because I liked it. And that's not always that common um, for students in chemistry classes or students come in saying, you know, this is just hard. Like I, I'm not good at chemistry. Like that's the very first day they just assume they're not good at it. And so I just loved teaching them and showing them that, you know, it didn't have to be awful and it could be interesting and that they could do it. They could actually learn or develop skills if they didn't come in with them. Um, and so through kind of did that all through undergrad. And then when I was getting ready to go to grad school, that was kind of when the lecture position was becoming a bigger thing mm -hmm. in colleges. And so I realized that if I went and got my PhD, there was quite literally a job for me to do just what I wanted to do. I didn't have to do oh, the research, cool. just do the teaching. Um, so yeah, it was probably by my second year of undergrad, I knew that I wasn't going to do med school and I was going to get my PhD and do some form of teaching with it. That's, that's really cool. So you were a first year student and, and you were in there teaching already? Yeah. How um, did you manage that? I mean, that, how did you have the, the knowledge to, to, to do that? Yeah. So Bucknell um, was a little bit different in the way they did their intro chem classes. We could test out of general chemistry and start immediately our first year with organic chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so if we did that, we were able to help in the labs for general chemistry. So we had tested mm -hmm. out and it wasn't quite the same as IU, um, where we run them in our STEM courses, where the AI is the only person, like they are running the lab. I was in there with the actual instructor for the course. Okay. Um, and so, but I, you know, I was able to really help with safety or help them work through content and just kind of develop that working with them relationship. And then as I advanced in my courses, I was able to take on more of a lead role in TAing throughout the okay. years. But yeah, we, if you test out of the class, we were able to do it. So I, so I know that um, I, I, so I visited your class uh, before. And so I know that you used uh, undergrad teaching assistant model in your large chemistry classes. Um, is that kind of where this idea came from? Cause you had this experience or uh, uh, was it through talking with colleagues or. It was mostly talking with colleagues. Uh, you know, I hadn't actually considered it at a large university because 
you know, ours, it was, it was paid, which we don't pay ours. Um, Mm -hmm. And we didn't have PhD students. We had master's only students, but most of them weren't teaching. Um, And so it was kind of, we used them out of, we didn't have other students to fulfill those roles. Um, And so it hadn't really occurred to me that we could at IU. Um, We had so many grad students. And so it was really talking with colleagues that we kind of realized that our courses are huge. So for, you know, non-chemistry people, my, one of my classes is 700, but we teach 350 in one, one section. And so even if you have a couple grad students and an instructor, you're, you're so in the minority to be able to actually answer questions. And so it, they, um, Kim Arnold, Kate Rack, um, Jill Robinson, kind of that group had started once in a while pulling in some undergrads, although it wasn't really formalized. And now I think we have, I think the last time Kim talked to me, it was around 180 per semester. Wow. That's a lot. Yes. We use a lot through all of our courses from our first year courses to our advanced courses. Um, and they're great because if you have, you know, two people, 20 groups, you have groups just sitting there waiting and they're not actually getting anything out of an activity. But if you have all these undergrads, all of a sudden you lower that ratio and you don't have groups just sitting there. They're actually using their time. Um, but even in addition to that, we always remind students, you know, I, I didn't go to IU for an undergrad. My, my grad students didn't go to IU for undergrad. So we learned the content, but maybe not in the same order or with the same prereq courses, same expectations. And these undergrad assistants, they have taken the courses at IU. They took the current course that they're helping with, with me. They know my expectations. Mm -hmm. They know how I work, how I write exams, things like that. So they're also just a wealth of information for our students as far as support for the course, not just for the content. That's really great. So one thing you said earlier uh, really, really caught my attention. And when you were talking about how you became interested in teaching and your undergrad experience, um, it really jumped out to me that even as a first year undergrad, you were thinking along the lines of, I know that these students can develop the knowledge they need to have. And, and I, I mean, I don't think that everybody comes at things that way. Uh, how, how do you think you develop this sort of growth mindset at such a young age? I think I, I had amazing teachers in high school um, who really just, I don't, I don't even know how specifically they did it. They just never made you feel, even if you struggled with something, they never made you feel like that was the end of it. Um, they, you know, would talk about different ways to think about it or different ways to approach it. Um, or they would say like, you know, they never just said, no, it's wrong especially my scientists, they would say, okay, tell me what you were thinking with this. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I now find myself as soon as I say it, I'm like, oh yeah, that that was that teacher. Because I'll say like, you know, tell me what you were thinking and a student will explain it. And then I'll say like, okay, well, I see where you were thinking with this. This is kind of where we need to go with it. Like this is the other direction. And so it really, when they would do that to me, it never made me feel like I was just wrong but like I had some starting nugget and I just went to the wrong conclusion. And so I never just felt like why well, I, I don't get any of this. There was always, they were able to pull something out to say like, yeah, you're on the right track. Now let's kind of redirect. And so I do it with my own students too, mm-hmm. because 
you know, if you just, if you just tell them no all the time, like you're just wrong, then of course anyone's going to feel like, well, I'm always wrong. Like, why am I trying with this? And, but if you can at least find that one little thing that says, okay, I see, I see where you're going. I understand where you're thinking. Let's just pull it back or let's, you know, take a left instead of going right. Um, with that thought process, then it just kind of instills that, okay, I'm not, I'm not awful at this. I'm not just bad at it. And I can, I can, the next time, you know, maybe to use the little map direction, maybe the first time you talk to them, they went wrong at the first turn, but the next time they go wrong three turns down. And so they see themselves making progress mm -hmm. with their thought as well, instead of just focusing on the end. And I think that happened just with my, I lucked out, I had amazing teachers in high school that started that. And I just picked up their way of thinking and speaking when I went through it. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, most of us, when we think about STEM type classes, we think, okay, there's a right answer, <laughs> right? And therefore you get, you're the right or wrong. And, yep. and, and, and it, to, to have this sort of um, knowledge as a journey towards getting to the right place and you're right along the way in, in, in some ways. Uh, that's, that, that, that's great. And, and do, do you feel that your students, um, I'm assuming they resonate well with it, but um, do, do you have any um, stories of like students kind of like feeling like you can see them glad that they're making progress, even though they haven't gotten all the way there? Yeah, I think um, one of, so one of the things I do after any exam, because we still use exams, we, they're not as high stakes, I would say in a lot of our classes as they used to be. Um, but you know, when you have hundreds of students in a section, it is difficult to do a lot of smaller activities that are still providing good feedback, right? So we definitely still use exams. And one of the things I do after each exam is I look at their previous exam score and their current exam score. And I look um, to see, you know, people who improved, how did they improve? And if they improved, I'll send them an email. And honestly, for large courses, I leverage the engagement roster to be able to do it to a yeah. lot of students at once. Um, but, and I kind of group them, you know, they improve 20 percentage points, this group improved 15. And then I'll send a, a message that just says like, hey, you know, I noticed that you improved, you know, 20 percentage points on this exam from your first one, like that is awesome. It really shows that you're making progress in this class. And I've had more than one student email me back because I don't say anything about their grade. I just say what they improved. Like, and I've had a number of students who, if you just looked at the grade, you're like, man, that's, that's still a bad grade, but yeah. they'll email back just saying, I was so focused on my grade that I didn't notice how much difference, mm. how far I had come. And thank you for pointing that out. Like that made me feel a lot better and, you know, makes me feel like I can continue making that progress. Um, and so getting them to focus on how far they've come. And I, I didn't even think about it until students started emailing me back and, and pointed out that they don't see that you know i was able to see like hey you improved a lot but yeah, to them yeah. great and they're like it's still not the grade i want mm -hmm. but they missed that whole how far they had come like if you got a 30 on the first exam chances are you're not getting like a 95 on the second one but even if you go from 30 to 50 like that's a huge jump in one exam and then the next time you go to a 70 and then the next time like and you can make your way there yeah. so i just and I think you're right in STEM classes, right or wrong answer is what people go in with. Um, that's what people think about. I mean, and, and the other thing that that's interesting, I'm, are they actually saying, 
I didn't think about that. Um, I feel better. I mean, are they using the words like I feel better about this? I've had students that said it made a huge difference to realize how far I had come. Like that was one of my favorite emails. And I was like, yay. Yeah. Um, it just because, it, you know, it took, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of my day to throw numbers in Excel. And like I said, with the engagement roster, I can batch email very quickly and you can like, you can do it. So it still sounds personalized. Um, you know, it doesn't say their, their name, but a lot of times I, you know, in class I'm like, Hey, how are you? I don't necessarily use a name. So they're used to me kind of starting a conversation like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's 20 minutes out of my day to have students point out that it made a huge difference. Yeah, that's great. So it, 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 you're, you're paying attention to kind of student growth and, and letting them know that you're paying attention to that and, and helping them value that. Yeah. Um, I, so kind of circling to you, I'm assuming that given that you believe in growth mindset in this way, that you are really committed to it yourself and um, for your own for your own development. And I'm wondering if there's any kinds of examples of um, kind of reflective practice in your own teaching where you had your own kind of light bulb moments. Uh, do you have any stories like that? I do. And it's kind of embarrassing to admit, like looking back, um, I will never forget the first time a student came up to me and just very clearly was like, honestly, I just need a C to pass your class. Like, and that was what they said. And I will never forget that in my mind, I was like, really, you just said that to your professor, like <laughs> is your goal. And I, I will admit I was super judgmental. That's why it's so embarrassing. Um, thankfully not to the student out loud, but in my mind, I was just like, I can't yeah. believe you just said like a C was your goal. You're thinking and, that's lame. <laughs> no. Right. Like, come yeah. on. But as I, and then as I got to know the student, because this was really early too, as I got to know the student that semester, I realized, you know, that they were working full-time in addition to being a full-time student. They mm. were also helping take care of siblings. Mm. Um, they were taking other classes that would more directly influence their future career that they wanted than mine. Okay. Um, so they had all these other things that that truly to them success was just, this is, this is what I can do. And this is success to me. And throughout that course of the semester, it really changed, changed the way I viewed that, you know, in that success is as much as I give sometimes our pre-meds a hard time, success is more than an A in a class. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, until a student said that to me and I realized my reaction, I didn't realize that as much as I could say an A isn't everything that's what I had been internalizing. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I actually start each, you know, beginning of each semester and we talk with students, you know, you all have different goals. What does success mean to you? Um, or I just had a student email me the classic email, you know, is it still time to raise my grade? You know, the classic email. <laughs> yeah. point. And I wrote back and I was like, you know, mathematically, yes, you still have points available. You can always raise your grade. And I said, but whether you can raise it to a point that means success for you is a different question. And you're the only one that can answer that. You know, you have the syllabus, you have Excel, you can calculate that. But really helping students realize that the, the grade's different. And that that student, that semester, I will never forget my reaction. Because looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that as a, as a professor, I was so judgmental about that. And, you know, but as I got to know them, I'm like, yeah, there's no way, you know, that that this could be your priority and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 
really having to think about that, you know, that, that success is going to be different for everyone as well as that reminder that you have no idea sometimes what's going on in your students' lives outside the classroom and their performance in the classroom is indicative of so much more than just their content knowledge. Um, And so that was a huge, huge changing experience for me. I know that you and I have have chatted about your class before and you get a lot of the pre-med students in your class. And then you have students who are like chem majors and I guess a variety of other majors too. But, um, and one of the things you mentioned to me is they come to the class and they have really different approaches uh, in in how they're engaging with the material and expectations for the class. Um, So what are some of the ways that you kind of, allow them to sort of customize their experience in, in, in your class? So we try to do, I'm trying to think. Yeah, so it's a kind of, we, in my class, so that particular class is an upper level class. It's around 180 students, only about 10 to 15% are actual chem majors. So the rest are all, mostly other STEM majors, but they're pretty much all there for some pre-health requirement. Do you see the chem majors as engaging really differently than the, than the non-chem majors? I feel like the chem majors, right. To, to totally group because every, yeah, I mean, we're stereotyping. I, I (laughs) I feel like they tend to engage more out of an interest. Um, Than out of a this like a need for an A, um, and to a point, I do understand that because grad school is like you want a good GPA to go to grad school, but there are so many other things that a grad school looks at a little bit more. Like, do you have research experience? Have you published? Um, things like that. And I understand that the GPA for med schools is one of the first kind of cut factors. They have so many students applying. So it unfortunately is incredibly important as much as we tell students don't focus on the grade. So I can understand that engagement differently. Um, you know, a lot of my pre-meds, they're, they're engaging for the points. Um, and so it's a balance when I'm designing the course to really think about if I want the students to also find it important, there has to be some grade factor there um, because of the way that they're engaging with it. It doesn't, and the the funny thing, it doesn't have to be big. You can be like a couple points out of a thousand and man, will they do it. Um, But it's just this small way of indicating that it is something I find important and recognizing that for certain students, that is the indicator, not, not just because, Hey, you're learning all these other skills. I can talk about that. And, and we do, you know, the learning objectives at the top of any assignment that talk about, these are the other skills. This is how it's connecting. But I have realized I need to tie that to the grade for that population of students, um, versus my chem majors are like, this is just really cool. Or (laughs) they're thinking about what research they want to do. So they're going into class looking at is this an area of chemistry I might want to do my grad work in like yeah I want to do well but also is it something I could picture myself doing research in and the the pre-health don't have that they're they're not they know they're not going into research for that so so are you doing undergrad research I don't um, okay my research yeah no I, I learned very on I did not want to do a lab 
Um, so I do some research more on like student learning in chemistry. I'm involved okay. in a couple of national things like that, where we try and understand student motivation for taking our classes, um, how that motivation, you know, I, I just made the joke, pre-meds will do anything for points, but at the same time, we, we have data that shows extrinsic motivation doesn't actually correlate to their learning um, right. versus intrinsic. And so that's one of the projects I I'm working on is how do we tap into that intrinsic motivation of our students? Um, you know, fine if they're also extrinsically motivated, but we, we want to get that intrinsic up as well, because that's what's going to show us long-term learning gains. Um, yeah. So that's like the type of research I do. I don't, I don't actually do chemistry lab research anymore. Okay. Okay. I was just, I was just curious because I know that some of your colleagues use this undergrad research model in their classes and I didn't know whether you did or not. Um, and the, one the other thing you talked about earlier, uh, it sounds like you design your, um, all your assignments using that tilt framework. Is that, is that yes. right? Yep. I did, um, a tilt workshop, oh, TLF, transformative learning fellow, I think, but it was with Joan, uh, Middendorf years ago and it okay. completely changed the way I thought about doing my assignments, um, and really trying to make it. Like, this is why I'm doing this assignment. It's not busy work. And so I also do, you know, I, I do the objectives. What, what do I want you to be able to do at the end of this assignment? And that's kind of that criteria for a success part. But also, why am I doing this assignment? Like, what is the point of this assignment? Is it to strengthen, you know, is it to get you thinking in the mindset that I'm going to need you to think in in an exam? Is it to build teamwork? And then I also try and relate it to past my class. Um, Cause I also think, you know, a, a lot of pre-health students come in and go, well, and I happen to teach that upper level class happens to be usually their last chemistry class, unless they're a chem major. Um, so they come in with like, other than it's a prereq, why do I need to bother learning chemistry? You know, what is it, what is it gonna do for me after I'm done my chemistry requirements? And so I also try and in that kind of introduction, not necessarily as a specific learning objective, but in the introduction to the assignment, that's where I try and tie it back to. Um, okay. You know, this is kind of bigger picture. What might you do? Um, even for things like, why do we work in groups? Uh, a lot of my students do not like working in groups because it takes yeah, that's, sole that's control away from them. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I explained that you have to be able to communicate. If you're a doctor, and you're talking to a patient versus your colleague versus a medical conference, it could be the exact same information. You could be talking about the exact same case, but you're going to talk about it at three very different levels. And you need to learn to do that communication based on that audience and where other people are. Uh, you know, and so that's kind of what I focus in the tilt and the introduction part is how it's going to connect past our course. And I think students, I know a lot of them don't read it, but I have had students come up to me and like point out things from the introduction, like, oh, I hadn't thought about this, or this was a cool example. So for those that do read it, I think they get something out of it and it's, it's worth my time. And once, if, as people, as you get used to doing the tilt framework, it just becomes natural when you're designing the yeah. assignment to do it. So yeah. it's not like it takes extra time anymore to put things in that framework. Yeah, I always think that if you can put things in that framework, it makes it a lot easier to map um, map your whole course out to course learning outcomes, oh. and and all, then it's easier to kind of document the learning gains that are going on and all of that. So it's like I think everyone should do this, not only for their students but for their own selves. Yeah, <laughs> it makes, well, it, like maybe on a super small assignment, you don't go 
you know, if, if it's just a daily reading, you don't need this massive thing with like a huge right. introduction, but you can really con condense that down for students. But even when I'm planning my assignments, I'm, I'm thinking about that because that also helps me make sure I'm not assigning busy work to students. Right. Um, you know, my classes are too big. So there are definitely assignments that they don't get individual feedback on. So when I'm designing the assignments, I need to make sure it's, it's worth their time. Like why, why am I asking them to do it? Um, and is it worth, honestly, selfishly, is it worth my time to be looking at it later to provide the feedback for it? And if it's not, if it's not helping achieve those learning objectives for the course, then it's not worth doing. Exactly. Exactly. That, that, that is busy work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, seriously. Yeah. So um, you've got a lot going on, uh, a lot of kind of um, best practice type uh, pedagogical strategies that, that you're engaging in. And it, it, so as we're kind of reaching, reaching kind of the end point of our, our conversation, I'm curious, um, you had to learn a lot to be able to do all of these things. And I'm kind of curious what you think the most important thing is you would want a new instructor to think about. Hmm. All right, can I pick two? Sure, you can pick as many as you want. <laughs> the, the first one's really small, but it's um, don't forget about the students who are performing well in your courses. Um, mm. A student pointed this out to me a couple of years ago and it has stuck with me. Uh, after quizzes, I always look for like the students who perform the top 10% on a quiz and the students who are in the lower category. And I send the lower category kind of tips and tricks, but I send the upper one just like, hey, congrats. This was awesome. It'll really help you out on the exam. Just two lines, again, using the engagement roster um, just because of my course size. But and I had a student come up to me and she this is a junior. So in a senior or a, sorry, second semester junior. And she said that that was the first time a professor had actually told her she had done, like congratulated her for doing so well oh, um, wow. because she's like, I've, I've just always done well. And so I'm, I'm not usually where they focus their time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, even taking a couple of seconds to really reach out and just send that message to say, Hey, great job. It can make them feel seen. Right. And so that's yeah. my first. Don't forget about those students. That's so interesting. I mean, you're right. The uh, folks who routinely do well probably don't get as much feedback. They don't get, and I, I like how you put it, they, they, they may go by feeling unseen, even though you, you as an instructor, you're going, man, that person's killing it. They're awesome. <laughs> They're great. They're awesome. But, but yeah. they don't ever get to hear it. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that, that's, that's great advice. Yeah. And then the other thing if, for new instructors, I would say involve your students. I think a lot of what I've been able to do has come from conversations with students about, you know, hey, what's working, what's not working, um, and, and being honest with them, like, hey, I'm trying this out, this is why I'm trying it, right, so again, avoiding that idea of it's busy work, um, and I'd like your feedback on it, and I have gotten some of the best ideas from students, I've mm. changed, you know, I use the tilt framework, and students have given me feedback on, you know, I didn't, you put the criteria kind of like at the bottom and I didn't really read the whole way. So it'd be helpful if you move that wow. up, um, you know, and if you involve them, cause they're the ones that are doing the work, right? right. So right. if you involve them and they really early on see that you care about their experience and not just their grade, um, I have found, I, you know, you, I think 
as a new instructor, I'd heard horror stories of people tried some active learning and then that semester their evaluations just bombed or things like that. And I've never had that experience, but I've also always been really honest with students. Hey, like I have a reason for trying this and I want your feedback while we're doing it. And them seeing that I'm willing to make some changes mm -hmm. um, and that I'm not going into it with this idea of I have it perfect and this is the best way to do it, that it just becomes a much more relaxed um, atmosphere with it. Students are a lot more honest and they, I, I've never like had anyone get really mad. I've had people on evaluation say this was really frustrating, but it worked. And so she should keep doing it, which was fun. <laughs> um, yeah. But I've never had that, you know, I can't believe she tried this or she wasn't actually teaching. She was just having us do work. And so right. I, I would say right. all of your students in the process in the semester, I yeah. think that what's too late is you know you get your emails at the end but that's not yeah. helping them or it's helping the next one um so midpoint check-in or just after an activity you know what was your favorite thing how would you change the activity next time um and also i've gotten some amazing teaching ideas from students that i wouldn't have that's thought cool of. yeah I, I love that yeah that's great advice for folks in fact, I, in fact, I think we all should be continued to do that our, our whole way through our careers right oh, i mean yeah. that's that's great advice well, and our students change, right? So yeah, you know, yeah. any of us who taught through the pandemic, our cohorts pre and post pandemic are so different. And so we can't just use the same strategies that we were using, but even mm -hmm. a, an individual cohort is going to be different. Um, and so kind of recognizing that and letting them know, but also I would say, don't try everything at once. Yeah. Um, you know, the, a lot of what we've talked about, I mean, you've been teaching for a while and starting to have taught for longer um but we didn't do it all in our first year and i think that's really important because sometimes it is overwhelming when you hear all these things people are doing in their classroom you're like how could i do all this or i don't know if i can and pretty much none of us did it in one semester right oh, we yeah, did no let way. it happen. Yeah. and and you just try it and if it works keep using it if not do something else and mm -hmm. add on a little bit you know each time but you don't have to do it all at once because it just then it won't go well because yeah, you'll be it's too much it's too much yeah. well and you and one of the things that uh, kind of undercurrent of one of the things you were saying here is that you have to be willing to uh, you have to be willing to change and you have to be willing to grow and I, so coming back to that whole growth idea um and you don't have to do it all yourself <laughs> I, oh. I love i love that you can get ideas from other people and you can you can try them out and you can use those to refine things that are you do well already um oh, yeah. yeah i mean and, and we want to think about our students the same way. They're doing things well. We can help them refine and, and do better. And, and I think kind of giving ourselves the same kind of grace to grow is, is fantastic. I love that. Yeah. I think students, I think students like it too. They like to see that, that you're willing to help meet them and that it can be done. I think that's the important thing when, you know, my colleagues and I talk about understanding our cohort and being willing to make changes, we're not sacrificing our expectations in our class. Right. We're not, oh, I'm not saying like, oh man, you found that really hard. Well, I'm going to drop these three objectives. Um, right. You know, and it's kind of same for my students. Like I, I have, my expectations are at level, you know, X. I'm not going to drop them, but I am going to get feedback so I can help you get to X. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's not the idea of, making things easier just 
to pass students or things like that, but how can we help our students get up to that? And yeah. and it is an important difference because you know sometimes oh, it's, it's like, well, yeah. I could just drop my expectations and pass everyone. Yeah, but no, that's, that's not what. We're <laughs> That's that's not not that's not why we're here. That's not the point of, of higher education to go in and just get the easy grade, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us, and it's it's great seeing you again. And hopefully, I'll see you on campus here again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.